Yeah, that's exactly right. It's not a silver bullet. And, and I would add to that that actually one of the things Nick does really well uh, once folks realise what, what's happening is that the withdrawal symptoms through treatment, especially through the, the peak period of opioid withdrawal, you know, day three, day four, there's usually a lot of vomiting and so on. It's just hell. Um, those things don't really happen in net treatment. And so the fear of approaching rehab um, and having withdrawal symptoms and all those horrible things that happen physically is, is removed. And that makes access, the choice of accessing rehab easier when once people realise what net can do. Hi, you are listening to Hope Stream, the podcast for parents of kids who are misusing drugs or alcohol or who are in active addiction, treatment, or in early recovery. I'm your host, Brenda Zane. I'm a fellow parent to a child who struggled with addiction and nearly lost his life to multiple fentanyl overdoses. So I'm right there with you. You can learn more about me, my story, and how I serve parents like you at my website, brendazane.com. And if you're a mom with a son or daughter who is struggling right now or in the process of finding recovery and you want to hang out with me and some other really awesome moms like yourself, you can check out a private community that I created called The Stream. It's where I am after the episodes and where you can connect with a village of other moms who get it. They get what you're going through. And you can find us at thestreamcommunity.com. I am so excited to finally get to release this episode today. It's been in the works for a while, and the timing of it has been a little tricky, but it's finally here, and it just makes me so happy to bring you this information. You may have listened to episode 83 and seen the trailer for the documentary, The Final Fix. And if so, today what you're going to learn is more about the actual NET technology and the device that is used to help people get off of drugs and specifically in the film off of opioids. You can hear the entire origin story of NET in episode number 83. So I won't spend time here going into that. Just know that this very effective solution has been around since the early 1970s and is just now in November of 2021 going to be going through an incredibly rigorous FDA trial, which was in part why this was a little tricky to coordinate. You're going to hear today from Owen Fielding, who is operations manager with NET Recovery Corp., which is a U.S. health tech company and they are the developer of NAT device. This device delivers cranial stimulation to reduce opioid cravings and other symptoms of withdrawal. And Owen has over 25 years of experience working in the health and social care and criminal justice sectors in the UK and Ireland and in the US, working in nonprofits, in government, in private organizations, with a special focus in the treatment of addiction. And Owen has seen NET in action for over 10 years, from 2010 to 2014. He was part of a UK-based program called ScotNet, which was a successful pilot in Scotland using NET 
and he is now supporting the delivery of the company's activities in the UK, in the US, and in the very, very exciting upcoming randomized control trial that is taking place here in the United States. They are doing it in partnership with Wayne State University, which is in Michigan, and Isaiah House, which is a treatment program in Kentucky. There's a lot to learn. Get ready. There's so much hope in this episode. And so with that, I'll let you listen in to my recent conversation with Owen Fielding with Net Recovery Corp. Owen, welcome to Hope Stream. I'm thrilled to have you here today. I know you are within weeks of going into FDA trials, which I cannot even imagine what all that entails. So thank you for taking an hour out of your day and and talking with me for the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yes. Well, I'm assuming that most listeners might have already listened to the episode number 83 uh, with Norman Stone, who directed a film about this technology that we're going to talk about today. So that's one perspective on NET and what it is. But I am really glad to be talking with you to dive a little bit more into the actual technology. Do you call it a technology? I'm never really sure what to call it. I guess it is actually, you would refer to it as health technology, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So diving into that and just learning a little bit more about it so people can feel a little bit more informed and educated about what this actually is. We've seen the human side of what it can do, um, but learning the nuts and bolts of it is is great as well. However, we are a group of parents, so we'll have to have the, not the dumbed down version, that's not what I want to say, but the um, layman's terms <laughs> when you're talking about this yeah. so that we can understand sure. it. Before we do that, maybe you can just give us a quick background on how in the world you came to be doing this. How did you get to be doing what you're doing today and, and really working with this technology? That's a good question. Somewhat by accident, I've been working in and out of social care and addiction treatment for a big part of my life. And I was working in a rural rehab here in Dumfries and Galloway when um, a guy called Joe Winston appeared on the scene and he brought this device and he chose the, the chief exec of Net Device. I was skeptical because I'd seen folks go cold turkey. In fact, that's what the rehab that was the rehab methodology we used in, in that particular facility in which I worked. And uh, I was quite sceptical about the claims of this device. But within a few days of seeing the guys uh, use it and experiencing practically no withdrawal symptoms, having no craving, eating, sleeping, I was quite blown away by it. And what year was that? Like, when did you start seeing this? Wow, that would be probably 2009. Okay. So a while ago now. A yeah. while ago, yeah. Yeah. So um, that particular not-for-profit eventually came to an end. You know, the, the money ran out. And uh, I contacted Joe and said, that device, if you ever need help to get the news out there or do something with it, I'd be happy to help. Little did I know that a couple of months later, he would call me up and say, actually, I've got a gig for you. Um, <laughs> And that gig ended up being four years long and some other pieces of work on the interim up until now. So I've had quite a long history now with, with NetDevice. 
Yeah. I was able to watch the final fix. And so I saw kind of the the history all the way back to the 70s, which is just mind boggling. Um, but for you, even back from 2009, this is a long time that you've been working on this. And I got to believe it's been a little frustrating to not have maybe the the pickup and the approval that it seems like this needs. Yeah, it is frustrating. But actually, if this was easy, everybody would be doing it. Very true. This is this is a very pioneering field, although electrical stimulation as a medical treatment has been around and been researched for well over 100 years now. It's just started to become more recognized and accepted in, in the Western world. That's amazing. So when we talk about NET, uh, what we're talking about is neuromodulation. So maybe you can give us the layman's definition of what that is and how that's different because like you said there are other forms of stimulation so how does this what is it and then how is it different than those other forms okay so i'll give you a definition from the international neuromodulation society because it's it's best we we are not an approved device in the us so we can't give our own definition but basically that means neuromodulation is the alteration of nerve activity through targeted delivery of a stimulus, so i.e. net device or similar, such as electrical stimulation to specific neurological sites in the body, typically on the head somewhere, either through electrodes in our case, there just was one behind each ear on the mastoid bone, or a montage of electrodes across the front front of the head. Different companies use different methodologies. And that basically helps to restore function or relieve symptoms that have a neurological basis. Okay, so alteration of nerve activity basically is the layman's term for that. That makes sense. And so with this um, and all the work that you're doing, is it the goal to then transition somebody from active use, maybe they're using heroin or, or meth or cocaine, is the goal to get them to something like a Suboxone or a Vivitrol, or is it to is it possible, or is the goal to get them completely substance free? Because I, I think that that's a confusing thing that we see because we hear so much, especially in the U.S. about MAT, MAT, everything is MAT. So I'd be curious to know what kind of what the goal of of somebody using NET would be. The goal of somebody using NET would be to transition from taking drugs, be they illegal or or prescription drugs or both, to um, zero drugs. Okay. Some other stimulation devices, in fact, I think all of the other stimulation devices are bridging devices. So they would bridge the person from, say, heroin to, to mat, to a place of stability. And some people want that, but some people want complete abstinence. Right, right. Yes, because I have seen a couple of other devices where where that is the goal to transition to MAT. So it really, and in the final fix, um, I was shocked to see that the, some of these guys were trying to get off Suboxone, which I, I guess I wasn't aware that it can be so debilitating to somebody on a long-term basis. So that was really, really fascinating. Is that what you've seen or do you see a mix of different situations where people are maybe coming off of more of an illicit substance versus MAT? We, we see a mix, but to be honest, um, you, you'll know this yourself, as time has gone on, from the sort of 80s when I first 
became involved in treating addicts. Heroin was heroin. But now if somebody takes heroin, it's it's got talcum powder, it's got concrete brick dust, it's got all sorts of stuff in it, or you know, and typically people are using secondary drugs. When when we first started using net in Scotland and in Kentucky on an investigational basis, we would have a handful of people who were using just methadone or just heroin, and that's honestly all they were taking. But now secondary drugs, polydrug use it would be unusual to have somebody testing positive just for heroin or just for methadone. Right, right. Yeah, it is it is very rare to say somebody is only on one. And so that's what I think is fascinating too about, um, and a little bit that I do understand about NAT is that it does work for those different substances. And in the film too, you see somebody, you see that situation. So that's amazing because... You know, we do have things like Suboxone for opioids, but nothing for somebody who's trying to, you know, get off of meth or cocaine. There's just nothing out there for that. So I think that and and alcohol, I mean, there's just kind of the, the possibilities just open up when you think about that. And so... One thing I know that that my community in particular as moms and as parents really see and struggle with in helping their kids is marijuana. It is so powerful today. It is not even the same substance that it was, you know, back in the 70s or 80s or 60s or whenever you want to talk about it. And they're really, really struggling with that. So it's very different, obviously, than a hair, you know, somebody who's an IV heroin user or meth user, but it's really crippling these kids and their ability to function. Is NAT something that would be, would they be a candidate for that? Or maybe you can talk about who is a good candidate and who isn't. I guess those are two separate questions. Kind so of, yeah, sorry. Marijuana, <laughs> I wrote yeah, them together. Yeah, okay. Well, on the marijuana question first, um, yes, we found NET to be effective in treating marijuana. In fact, in any psychoactive substance or combination of psychoactive substances, in this particular case in the US and this, this forthcoming randomized clinical study, we will only be testing net in opioid use disorder. And so we will be looking to have FDA clearance for opioids with net. Uh, so it's one drug at a time, basically, until um, we can satisfy the, the author- medical authorities. Wow, that has to be a little frustrating because I can imagine you. this trial is so, I mean, I don't know anything about it other than it's quadruple, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, quadruple blind, and it's going to be a full year, which that feels very, very rigorous. It's extremely rigorous. Well, it's as rigorous as it gets is from my understanding. So that this is all for good reason, because if you think about it, we're talking about an actual class 2A medical device. If you're a parent or a a substance user and you want to use a device like net device or one of the other similar devices, you want to know that it's FDA approved. You want to know that it's been rigorously tested and what the likely outcome is going to be for you as a, as a family member or as, as the patient. And so, yeah, we have to quite rightly go, go through due process. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like it'll be airtight. So I think that's, Amazing. It'll be reassuring to people here in the U.S. who are looking for that, looking for something different. So then 
If somebody, I'm just thinking through some of the scenarios and the parents that I know and my own personal experience with my son is there's often a co-occurring disorder, right? So there's something else involved. The substance use is really something that people, it's a behavior that people are doing to feel better about either anxiety or depression, or they may have something like a bipolar schizophrenia can somebody with those co-occurring disorders use this, use NET, or how, how does that work? Because that, that seems like it could be kind of confusing, but I'd love to hear more about how people with those co-occurring disorders might be able to be helped. Some of those disorders, if you can call them that, could be acceptable, and some of them are not. For example, in, in the case of pregnancy, NET has never been tested in, in that case. So... We, um, we would say no to this particular study. Schizophrenia, for example, we would say no because if somebody's bipolar or schizophrenic and they're on particular stabilizing medication to engage with net treatment in this particular study, the individual needs to be drug-free during that, that period. And so for a person who's schizophrenic to give up their medication for five to seven days is, is really a non-starter. So that person wouldn't be able to participate. But there's, there's a full list of the inclusion and exclusion criteria on the, the US clinicaltrials.gov uh, website. Okay. Okay, great. That's good to know. Yeah, because I was wondering about that. If you've got medications in the system and then you're also using a device, that could be a little bit confusing. And kind of a, along those lines, we know that you know addiction is more than just taking substances. There's a lot that's involved in that. You know, and I I saw in the film that in five or seven days, these guys are just seemingly so much better physically and they're active. But then what have you seen or what do you sort of envision as the ideal protocol? So somebody uses NET for five, seven, 10 days, uh, whatever it is, what then? Like, what is the optimal? Because there's still going to be underlying issues of maybe trauma or depression or whatever. How do you see this kind of coming together as a whole treatment for people? That is a great question. And, you know, very astute of you to, to ask that because there is no cure for addiction. What we are doing with NET is, is supporting the brain's ability to recover on its own, you know, that the brain's plasticity, we're leveraging that. And that's really all we're doing. It just happens to be extremely effective, but that needs to be done in an integrated fashion in a, a treatment program, inpatient program, so that these guys and girls that are having treatment, you know, the once they become free of drugs, their cognition, their emotional uh, faculties return, just, just for starters, and that begins to, to work and, and be talked through. And so the guilt and the shame comes out, the, you know, I've, I've got six months rent to pay, my car's be repossessed, whatever it is, they've got a bunch of stuff to deal with. Maybe they've been traumatised or abused in some way, maybe they've just been in jail. Um, there's, there's lots of things that the average chronic, you know, drug user needs to, to deal with. And that's ideally dealt with in rehab for a period where there's proper licensed uh, clinical social workers and so on who can help that individual through talking therapies, through a program of activities 
and cognitive rehabilitation. You know, to learn to, to change their behaviour for good, not just for a period of being in rehab and, and having this typical thing that happens in the UK and the US actually when, when rehabs say, oh, we have a 98% success rate. What they mean is that they have 98% of the people coming through the programme completing the programme. It doesn't mean that they're going to stay drug-free or that they're not going to go back to jail or, or whatever. And I'm not putting those programmes down, but there's a big difference between completing a programme and actually properly changing your behaviour through choice so that you can live, I guess, what people would call a normal life. Right, right. Yeah, because you're right when, so you get everything out of your system and you're feeling better from the substance standpoint. There could be this huge tidal wave of all of the things that have been going on during that time when you were using that all of a sudden hit. And I think that's where there really is going to need to be those services, the therapy, the counseling, um, executive functioning skills, those types of things that step in. So I think it might be easy for somebody to look at something like NET and say, wow, like here's the silver bullet, right? It's like, we're going to come in, people are going to spend 10 days and then they're going to be fine. And I think I see that that could be a dangerous misperception because you do have these underlying issues that need to be resolved, which might look very different than the current treatment system that we have, at least here in the US. So that could be, it'll be interesting. It's kind of the same in the UK, to be honest. And and some people, some of the guys you saw in the film did leave pretty rapidly and actually were okay and went back to work and to family and so on. But that's not unusual, but it's um, I would say it's a smaller percentage of um, treatment cases. Most folks who don't have the safety net of substances anymore will, in traditional rehab, detox treatment, will, will probably relapse. But because net significantly reduces or in some cases completely removes craving, then the individual has choice. They no longer have that physical craving or mental craving for the substance. So they choose their lifestyle and their behaviour beyond that. And that that's what helps to really speed up and enhance the rehab process and have a more successful outcome. That removal of craving Oh, that's just huge. That just takes away a huge chunk of what's taking up brain space is the the cravings, the drug seeking, the constant having to where's the next fix going to come from. So it sounds like kind of if I wrapped all that together that NET isn't necessarily a cure for addiction. It is something that will give people the ability to then address in a craving-free way the underlying issues that that caused that and wrap themselves around with the support that they need for other things like therapy, maybe for trauma or depression. But it's not a silver bullet that's just going to come in and all of a sudden everybody's going to be cured from addiction. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's not a silver bullet. And, and I would add to that that actually one of the things Nick does really well uh, once folks realize what, what's happening is that the withdrawal symptoms through treatment, especially through the, the peak period of opioid withdrawal, you know, day three, day four, there's usually a lot of vomiting and so on. It's, it's hell. Those things don't really happen in net treatment. And so the fear of approaching rehab and having withdrawal symptoms and all those horrible things that happen 
physically is removed and that makes access the choice of access and rehab easier when once people realize what net can do absolutely because you do hear that in all of the podcast interviews that I've done with people in recovery, that is the first thing they say is I could not go through that withdrawal. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. It, maybe they've done it a couple of times and they know what's coming and I get it. Like who would want to go through that? So I wonder if when, cause I am putting it out into the universe that this is going to be approved it's going to be rolled out and we're going to see more people using it. But I wonder if you'll have a problem with people not believing it. You know, if somebody is thinking about rehab and thinking, okay, I want to do this and they get the message. Okay. We have this technology. We have this device that's going to help you through this with no cravings, you know, very little withdrawal symptoms. Are they going to believe it? Because it sounds so crazy. I, I think some folks do as you saw in the, in the movie, and, and some folks don't. One, for instance, one one patient was extremely positive about believing this is going to work for me, and another patient actually smuggled substance into that small clinical study, and we had to remove him from the program because he was endangering other participants. And that's quite normal in rehabs. That happens. It's based on fear, isn't it? Because the individual knows how it feels to withdraw. That's his safety net. It happens. Right, right. Well, maybe that's where a a documentary like The Final Fix can be extremely useful. So right now, it's great to get the word out um, to make people aware. But I can see how if somebody is considering this, watching something like that could be like, oh, actually, I'm watching it with my own eyes. I'm seeing that it works. So I would just hate for people to be doubtful. And then not take advantage of this um, if it's available to them. But just because it is so completely different than anything that currently exists, can you just take us through, not a minute by minute, but just sort of an overview of somebody decides, okay, I want to do this. They, they are, you know, maybe a day clear of substances. They're about ready to use again, but they're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this. What does that experience look like for them coming into a program where they're going to be using NET? What is what would I experience if if that was me? Coming into a program, Brenda, and not entering the clinical study, uh, what would happen is that you would probably already have been assessed in the community because it's good practice to reach out to patients who want treatment and explore what supports they already have in place. What are they currently doing that's helping them, that demonstrates that they're working towards sobriety? Because sobriety without drugs is typically a difficult thing to do without NET. But similarly, if somebody has used NET, then they need to realize that tolerance is zero or just about zero. So if they go out and take, you know, I used to take 10 bags or I'm feeling crappy today. I'm going to take half a bag. They could literally overdose on half a bag. So we need to make sure that the individual is ready, willing, and able to engage with not just rehab and detox, but what does life look like after that? Can I see myself working, pay my rent, my car payments, you know, all those things. Can I commit to my wife, to my kids, all all that, that normal stuff? If that person hasn't been able to engage with that for 10 or 20 years, 
then that's that stuff might seem really scary. So we we need to make sure that person's ready. And then when they do hit rehab, they're starting to go into withdrawal. We'll apply the device and then the individual, it's about the size of a smartphone. The individual has that on their, their person. They'll wear it for five days, typically sometimes up to seven days. But they'll wear that 24 hours a day and they have control over the intensity of the stimulation and that's basically it. They can sleep with it. They can eat while they're using it. They can exercise. They can engage in the program. That, that's typically what we would see. Uh, up, up to day three, normally in rehab, an individual would be becoming more sick, vomiting more, more and more, diarrhea, restlessness, not sleeping, sweating, really heavy flu-like symptoms, junky legs, those things typically don't happen with NET. So what you see and within the first half an hour of starting treatment is the person relaxes, they are less anxious. Within the first day or so, they're starting to eat, sleep. Between sort of day three to day five, they're, they're looking to start to come off net, depending on what they've been using. With, certainly within day five, they're typically ready to switch it off, start switching off and experiment with it and see how it feels because... If they think about it, they've been in rehab before, they've got this great device on, they're feeling great, they're looking, they're presenting as you and I are now, clear-minded, eating, normal, and they're thinking, if I switch this thing off and give it up, will I start to withdraw? Will I start to crave? So, of course, that's one of the reasons why it's it's um, self-attenuated, if you like. So the individual has control over that, we don't. They decide what benefit they're getting from that and when to stop stop that. Typically, they'll start to... Someone sometimes will get a mild headache and they feel a bit agitated by it. So they'll start to switch it off and then they'll leave it off longer and longer and then typically, you know, we know that they're done. So that, that's a typical patient presentation. That is incredible. Yes, and when you see it, and I'm I'm working to try and get as many people to see it as possible, but when you see the people, it is very, very surprising to see how great they feel. And then is it sort of the vision that somebody would then, and I guess this would vary depending on the person, stay in that facility or wherever they are in an inpatient type program or that they could potentially leave and do some sort of an intensive outpatient. I'm just thinking of the current model and how it's set up and how this completely just kind of doesn't work with the way that we've currently got treatment set up. And so I guess if a if a program wanted to offer this, they were they're really going to have to rethink their services, I I would imagine. Yeah, because the typical business model and certainly in the the private treatment sector in the UK here, obviously duration of stay determines income stream for the provider. So the short duration of stay, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that needs that needs to be looked at by the providers. I guess there are ways to um, turn that around in a, in a business sense. Right. It feels a little bit like it's going to be trying to turn a tanker around because when you think about the treatment programs and the insurance companies and how 
integrated they are with, like you said, the length of stay, the approval, the medical necessity, um, all the things that the parents who listen to my podcast deal with, it just kind of implodes that. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens. But it, it does seem like, at least from what I saw in the film, that people would be in a state of mind to enter into and be more accepting and able to cope with a therapy session or a group session to where they can focus. So whether that is inpatient or outpatient or whatever it is, it just feels like the the people are much more able to function in that way, um, regardless of how they're getting the help. But I'm really glad you said that about overdosing and tolerance because I was thinking, wow, it's almost like, you know, somebody has been in jail for a year and they had to go through that. Most jails, at least here, do not offer MAT. So they're not getting Suboxone. They're not getting Naltrexone or anything. And, you know, we have, and I'm sure you have the same thing. We have such a high incidence of overdose when people leave incarceration because their tolerance is down. They're out. Life is hard. You take something and it, you know, today it'll have fentanyl in it for sure. So that is a really, really good point. And so I'm glad to hear that there is a upfront process to talk about that and to say, this isn't the silver bullet. What are you going to be willing to do after this? Uh, because you would be at such a high risk. Yeah, it's so key. And in, in Scotland, when we ran the ScotNet uh, pilot, it was actually a condition of of uh, providing treatment, we would not provide treatment to an individual unless they had actual evidence of engagement in community supports. They uh, were in regular contact with their the doctor or prescriber. You know, they had a place to stay. Blah blah blah. You know, it could because it's too. Yeah, it's just too dangerous to assume that everybody can just turn up on spec, get treatment, leave, and then you know go and chase a bag of heroin if they get bored. Right, right. And there there will be so much to deal with. So that period between, okay, I am now feeling great um, physically, and how do I then get the rest of my life to start to fall into place and feel great could be really a vulnerable place for people to be without the support that they need. So, wow, that's incredible. What do you think you know, if you kind of fast forward 10 years, let's skip the year that it's going to take to get the approval for opioids. And then maybe you'll, you'll move on and get approval for other drugs, but let's kind of time machine forward 10 years. What do you think the future of addiction looks like? What do you think, how's this going to impact? How's NET going to impact what things are going to be looking like in let's call it 10 years? Hmm, That's a good question. I guess this is, well, I've been researching this, and our company's been researching that sort of treatment modality, if you like, for a very long time now. And if you dig around on the internet, you can find things like the International Society of Addiction Medicine, the Neuro Interest Group, Neuroscience Interest Groups, so ISAM NIG. For example, there's about 250 addiction specialists, professors, neuroscientists um, engaged in researching transcranial stimulation, magnetic stimulation uh, for the treatment of addiction, deep brain stimulation. Globally, there are thousands of papers, uh, journals every year on, on this subject because it is growing 
not just in terms of popularity with with patients who currently use magnetic stimulation for the treatment of depression, which is one of the FDA-cleared indicators in, in the US. There are lots of things like that going on just now. So I would expect that in 10 years' time, the FDA have already started to clear similar electrical simulation devices for all sorts of conditions. They are globally, there's, there's a strong interest in, in pain management, in nerve stimulation to help somebody to walk again. You know, it's just such a huge, huge field. Elon Musk, his brain integration program at the moment, human brain integration program, that, that's fascinating as well. I think it's, it's such a huge field, Brenda, that the future looks very positive. And when, when you think about it, the human brain is not just a lump of grain white matter of sort of three and a half pounds in weight. It uses 20% of your body's energy every day, but it only weighs three pounds. And there's all that electricity, there's magnetic field, there's the neurotransmitters, there's serotonin, dopamine, and so on. There's there's a whole bunch of things about the brain that is known, but there's, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know about the brain in this field. And so we, we will probably see more studies done where there's imaging there's uh, you know scans and imaging done to look at the cues. So a person's maybe undertaking net treatment. They'll be scanned uh, in a, an MRI scanner. They'll be looking at cues. They'll be looking at needles. They'll be looking at a bag of heroin to see, you know, post treatment can this imagery stimulate the dopamine receptors? For example, it's fascinating. It's a, it's a huge field, and I think we're only beginning to scratch the surface of it. But the future looks bright. Yes, I agree. I think the research, and I would be curious to know, do you think that this could ever be, and maybe it is today, I I just don't know, could something like NET be used as a prevention methodology? So if somebody is starting to struggle, they're they're not, you know, actively addicted, they're not in that place where maybe you would find somebody who needs to use NET to come off of a drug, but is there a role for this in prevention at all? Yes, yeah, absolutely. If, for example, if somebody um, is just out of surgery, especially in a, in a country in like the US where medication is expensive, let's, for example, imagine that they can no longer afford to pay for pain meds. What are they going to do? They're going to go and buy heroin Yeah. if they need to medicate why not have NET treatment instead to come off that prescribed opioid? We've had a small number of people uh, who've had net treatment relapse and quickly realised they made a mistake uh, and come back before they become too uh, enmeshed in addiction again. And uh, yeah, that's a prevention tool for that individual to save their life, basically, and stop them living on a cardboard city again. Right, right. And then also, when you were talking about that, I was just wondering, would this be effective for other non-substance type addictions like gambling or shopping or overeating or sex addiction? Is there, how does that work with the brain? Or is this really specifically for substance use? At the moment, we are researching this just for substance use. Treatment for those other sort of behavioural addictions like addiction to porn and food and gambling and so on, those are actually extremely complex 
addictions to to solve. And there's a bunch of support and treatments out there for for those conditions at the moment. But who knows what what the future will look like? But for for now and for the you know for the foreseeable future, we'll be we'll be focusing on treating substances. Right. Right. Is NET available anywhere right now globally, or is it? I know it's not in the U.S. because you're just starting the trials, but is it being used anywhere in the world currently? No. Okay. So people just have to wait. You ha- listeners, you just have to wait because <laughs> I know, I know they're over there, like on the edge of their seat, <laughs> wanting to yes. get their child. I mean, they would literally pay a billion dollars to put their child on an airplane and take them somewhere to do this. So, okay, good to know. Not available. But your trial will be a year. And then what are you kind of looking at from a timeline? I know you don't know for sure, but let's say a year from now, the FDA approves this. What does it look like to actually make this something that somebody could get in their community? Well, I guess, first of all, we need to have arrangements with health insurance companies. Okay, so 100 years from now. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, obviously with providers too, because some providers won't want to perhaps use a tool like that because it impacts significantly on the duration of stay. Uh, But other facilities, I I think both not-for-profit and some private companies will, depending on their ethos, um, depending on the aims of the company, they will be more focused on actual outcomes rather than completing a program or duration of stay as an indicator of success. Right. Um, Quite how the US will get there, I don't know. Perhaps, you know, payment will be made based on actual results. So is the, is the person drug-free at the point of demission from, from rehab, you know, three, six months down the line, three months from there, six months from there, are they still drug-free? Then there's a further portion of the payment. Who knows? That's an interesting model that's been explored in the UK. Okay, I was going to ask if there's movement anywhere on this to start thinking about you know, this, if I was a treatment provider, like let's say a private pay treatment provider, I would have to start thinking about this now if I wanted to use it because it completely disrupts my marketing, my insurance relationships, my staffing, maybe even my physical location, my facilities of what I would need. So it seems like a pretty big shift that's going to need to take place if a provider says, yes, I want to offer this that's going to look pretty different. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a paradigm shift. But I guess, you know, if you think about your company reputation, what your actual output looks like, if you think about throughput of patients, so if somebody only needs, you know, a five-day net treatment typically and a much, much shorter stay in rehab because cognitively they're much more aware and much more capable, that they can plan more safely then that means that you can increase the patient load across the year with a shorter duration and still make money. True. And the, and the impact of, on GDP of having folks back in the community working their jobs, paying their rent, the, the long-term health economics, the quality of life years adjusted for that individual and for the company they work for, for the community they live in, for the taxes they'll pay, that has a huge kickback, you know, it's going to take some time, but that's a huge kickback on the rest of um, American society. 
huge. And, and those are those are the things that need to be considered. It's just not it's not just about the short term. What does it look like for my rehab as you know as a provider financially? Yes, absolutely. I think that's very interesting. That would be interesting to see if somebody does some studies on GDP because you know there are companies today who are saying I can't get employees. I can't get an employee base who can pass a drug test and and come work for me. And so exactly, that's a massive economic impact that could, you know, NET could be part of. And again, I don't want to position it as the silver bullet, but NET with the follow-on services that need to happen could make a massive change in that. All of a sudden, if I have a construction company, I might be able to find five people to work for me who could pass a drug test um, where I can't find that today. So huge, yeah. huge impact. Absolutely. You're right. The other area that I think about is um, traumatized military vets and also folks in prison. Why not have treatment programs in prison so that people leave prison without craving? Right. And they're not chasing drugs in jail. We know, for example, I know that some of the jails in Kentucky, you know, there's more drugs in the jails than there are on the streets. And it's the same here in Scotland. Folks enter jail without a heroin habit and leave jail with a heroin habit. It's crazy. And so NET might be a tool, you know, that would allow the penitentiaries, the prison systems to create truly drug-free wings where there's a bunch of patients who are completely drug-free. They're not interested in bringing drugs in because they've got no craving. And even if it's just small pockets of, of the prison community that are behaving in that way and they're discharged from prison with a different mindset, then that's got to be a winner. Right. I think in, in what you see when you watch the film is you just see the mindset and the the mood and the just the cognitive presence that these people have within three days of a severe substance addiction. We're not talking just, you know, I'm smoking a little bit of marijuana here and there. These these guys were very severely addicted. And so when you see that mindset shift in that ability to enjoy life and have fun, it's just so, it's such a game changer that you then, you play that forward and you think about if that's not four people, if that's 40,000 people or 400,000 people, the difference that would make in our communities. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And, and I guess if we come back for a couple of minutes to the sort of a, the clinical or the physiological aspects of this, this treatment and actually more importantly, the, the brain's amazing ability, you know, the plasticity. So what we're really doing, we hypothesize that what we're doing is stimulating neurotransmitters. So typically um, we're looking at the endorphins. So that's the physical and emotional pain neurotransmitter. The dopamine, so that's the reward neurotransmitter. For example, the serotonin, so the mood, behavior, and sleep neurotransmitter. So if you just take those aspects alone, physical and emotional pain, reward, mood, behavior, and sleep, if those things are turned around within a few days and they continue to be normal and increase in strength and activity beyond that, that, that's what seems to happen then it's no wonder that 
patients present as cognitively aware, willing and able. Yes, yes, because those are those are the major ways that you cope with life. <laughs> like you have exactly. to have exactly that, that's the foundations of human behavior. Yes, yes. And so when you can restore those, I don't know all of their stories, but I do remember one of the guys I think had been on Suboxone or something for 10 or 20 years. Am I am I recalling that right? Something like that, yeah. So to come in a, just a matter of days to a completely different physical state, sleeping, eating, just all the things that we take for granted as people who are not struggling with addiction, we just, you know, that's like air. We don't even think about those things. To have those things restored is just got to be so transformational for them. And the hope you could see in their faces of like, now I feel like I can, I can go do the things that I want to do, be with my family, return to my job. Um, it's just so amazing to see that happen in such a short amount of time. And I think the other thing that I think I saw and what I think is so great about this is it provides a level of dignity to these people who have been so, you know, stigmatized, kind of forgotten about, swept over in the corner, like, ah, uh, I don't know what to do with those people. And in a typical detox is not pretty. My son went through it several times. It is horrific. And so I think this provides a level of dignity and respect to them to say, you are a valuable human being we have a way for you to change and to make changes in your body that doesn't require you to go through this hell that is the traditional detox. So that that was just something that I saw sort of as a, a side note that I thought, wow, how empowering for them to be able to have that control and that that experience. Yeah, exactly. And then and then beyond that, the, the next stage at the end of treatment or maybe leaving rehab is the patient has a choice then. Do I return to drug use because I don't have any cravings? So why would I? Do I return to drug use or do I stay, you know, straight? Yeah. Incredible. Is there anything that you wish you had known? So let's like go back to 2009. Anything you wish you had known when you started this adventure that you're on looking back that you think, huh, wow, wish I would have known that. That's a great question. I think I wish I'd known more about the human brain. Mm. Just how amazing it is that that plasticity that we're leveraging and accelerating via net. If I'd known more about the brain then, I guess I would have I would have been more keen to recommend net to, to more people and to actually um I guess helped to, to drive it forward in a more meaningful way back way back in 2009, 2010. It wasn't until I actually started working with the company that I began to study that and understand, begin to understand just the basics of, I mean, I'm not a neuroscientist or a doctor, but when you look at that often enough and you see it happening with your own eyes, it, it drives you to, to ask, you know, why is this thing working? It's It's working. I can see that the person's not running into the bathroom, they're not vomiting, they're eating like a horse, they're exercising. Um, and when I began to research it, then it, it just all made sense. So, yeah, it's never too late. Um, I don't regret the, <laughs> the, 
my choices, but um, it would have been nice to to understand that a bit sooner, I guess. Yeah. Oh, the brain is just so fascinating. And I think you're right. We know so little about this amazing tool that we all have between our ears. So that's good to hear. And I know you faced a lot of obstacles. Um, I've watched the film, but then also a lot of sort of the surrounding material. And there's just been huge obstacles in getting NET out to people way back, you know, from when Meg Patterson was working on it. What keeps you going? Because it seems like it, it's an uphill battle. You're kind of like trying to run uphill with a lot on your back. What keeps you going in this battle that you're in? I think seeing the change in an individual, the absolute change, the joy, the freedom that it brings to that individual and having been involved directly or indirectly in the treatment of several hundred people now with net device, okay, if you're a, if you're a government official, uh, you might say that's anecdotal evidence. You know, I accept that. But anecdotally, I've seen several hundred lives change and stay changed. That drives me forward because that should be widely available as a treatment choice, not, not to usurp Matt but to actually work alongside Matt, complementary to Matt, so that a treatment like NET or similar stimulation devices are available should that individual make the choice to access that type of treatment rather than Matt. That, that's what drives me forward. It's about equality, no matter what the race or social standing or financial standing, an individual should have access to safe medical treatment that beats their needs. Right. In a very humane way, which is what I really love about it. So yeah, it's so yeah. beautiful to see. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what drives me forward. And, and I guess the, the owners of the company too. Yeah. Well, I feel like I just got a PhD in everything related to this. So thank you for, for walking us through in a really understandable way what NET does. We are sending you a million positive vibes for the trial, which is starting just in a couple of weeks, right? In November, 2021, just in case somebody's listening to this three years in, down the road. Sure. Yeah. And th that study is open to every state in the US. Um, anybody who wishes to participate can apply. Um, they just need to look at the clinicaltrials.gov website. The inclusion and exclusion criteria are there. And of course, that does mean that um, in this study, because it's randomised, the individual may receive sham net treatment or they may receive active net treatment. That's that's not down to us. That's down to the biostatistician. And so we won't know who's receiving that treatment. But the individuals who want to participate need to understand that, that they, will, they may not receive active net, but they will be offered medication instead should it not work out for them. So nobody's left high and dry. Yeah, I was going to say how that's a very complex dilemma when you know that you have something that could help and then these people are not getting it and you're watching them really suffer potentially. That could be from an ethical standpoint. That's a really interesting. I never thought about that when you're doing a trial like this. Yeah, well, this study has IRB approval. So in terms of ethics, it's um, it's all being cleared as, as safe and ethical so participants need have no fear about that. Um, they will be offered. In fact, any participant can 
ask for medication should they should they choose at any point in the study. Okay. And I'll put a link. So it's clinicaltrials.gov is the the website. Because yeah. I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes for if there's a, a treatment provider who's listening, you can look at that. Yeah. And you're looking for the net device study with Wayne State University. Owen, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I will probably be calling you down the road to see how the trial went. And we have lots of moms who are sending all kinds of positive vibes to you. And um, we really, really appreciate you sharing this time with us in the midst of everything that you are doing right now to start this trial. So thank you so much. Thank you, Brenda. Thanks for having us on your, uh, your podcast. And thanks for all the work that you do sharing recovery and support to um, so many people in the US. It's, it's, it's vitally important. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to go to the show notes, you can always find those at brendazane.com forward slash podcast. Each episode is listed there with full transcript, all of the resources that we mention, as well as a place to leave comments if you would like to do that. You might also want to download a free ebook I wrote called Hindsight, Three Things I Wish I Knew When My Son Was Addicted to Drugs. It's full of the information I wish I would have known when my son was struggling with his addiction. You can grab that at brendazane.com forward slash hindsight. Thanks again for listening, and I will meet you right back here next week.